it helps everybody. The kids get to rally around something. Mm -hmm. The parents and the kids have something to talk about that's good and positive. The school looks like a hero. The teachers get to explain new things. There's no negative and there's no cost. All it does is bring everybody together to talk about something that creates a basic human need and then go give it out. And helps others. Right. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. Everyone, welcome to the MentorBox podcast. You are here because you believe that you are capable of achieving, experiencing, and then giving back to your community and family everything and anything you choose to focus your attention on. But you also believe that before action comes knowledge, which is why today we're speaking with Dan Fleischman, youngest ever founder of a publicly traded company and author of the book, How to Start Your Business with Under a $1,000. Dan has founded a number of companies and is now a successful angel investor of 28 separate startups, all still active. More importantly, he's an incredible philanthropist, which is what we spend most of our time talking about today. Dan's outlook on philanthropy is uniquely inspirational, and I really want you all to take close notes on this. Enjoy. Hello, 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 and welcome to the MentorBox podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, content coordinator of MentorBox, and today I'm speaking with Dan Fleischman, the youngest ever founder of a publicly traded company in history. Big achievement, Dan. It's great to be here talking with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you wrote this book, How to Set Up Your Business for Under $1,000. I read through this book very quickly, in fact, because I think that's kind of the point of the book. It's, exactly. it's, it's very small. It's got a series of checklists, almost like a pocket reference that you can quite literally almost you know fit in your pocket to help you be successful at business building, despite the overwhelming nature of that culture today. Can you explain a bit more about the book for us? Yeah, it was a factor of need. I just got hundreds and hundreds of requests a week to answer basic questions about how to set up a business. So I thought if I put it all into one place, I could make an ebook, a paperback book, a video version, an audio course, and I could just send them that. And that would help give them all of their answers and make it really small and concise. So it's like 100 pages they could read in one sitting. Because too many times the books are just so overwhelming. I try to keep it really straightforward. Yeah. And I, I like how you extracted just the absolute essential points that are really strong pain points, especially I've noticed for mentor box members, they're always asking things like, how do I properly set up shop? How do I get my first customers? Right. How do I do my regular analyses? And those are like three chapters that you've actually set out of the seven. You have getting your first customers, setting up shop and launching, and then SWOT analysis, which stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Yeah. Correct. 
Yep. And then um, toward the end, you have a full resources guide as well, which I think is great. You just literally list websites and different resources for just kind of optimizing different components of your company. Can you list a few of those that you go through for me? Yeah, the top five for each thing. So if you need to get a website, who are the top five? WordPress.com. If you need to register a website, who are the top five to register with? Like GoDaddy type sites. So it just kind of lists off the top five of each category of what you're going to need for everything from SEO to everything, merchant accounts, anything you can think of that's a basic tool. It just has a checklist of the top five within there and a little quick bio and website link. Yeah, I see you have like productivity, you know, just one of the core essential components of really any endeavor. And then you have feedback and bug tracking, you know, optimizing for any issues, um, using your customers as a resource, obviously, and their own investment to optimize what you have, Um, payments, outsourcing, many more things. It's kind of like a magic trick. Like the magician, when he he knows the secrets, it's easy, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's scary and overwhelming of how the person does the magic trick of starting a company. But really, if we decided we're going to start podcast123.com tonight, we could go through our book and lay out every little detail of what we need to do. And by tomorrow, we'd have a podcast. Yeah. And each each of these things is just a sentence description. Right. I love that. It's just you you open it up. Oh, here's Big Cartel. Quick sentence. Yep. Bam. You understand what that's for. You can go visit it. Maybe it's not the one you want. Go down the list. Check that one. Right. I think it's perfect. So you've accomplished a whole lot in your young life. Can you tell us more about your accomplishments starting at 17 when you began at all as an entrepreneur? Sure. Uh, so when I was 17, I was working three jobs and I trademarked the catchphrase, who's your daddy, uh, for 300 different products. So I licensed it out to Starter Apparel when I was 18 years old for $9.5 million. And that kind of helped me go through the roller coasters of being a young entrepreneur, opening up offices in New York and warehouses in LA when I was still just couldn't even, wasn't allowed to drink yet, right? I was a baby. And Did you uh, have those things simultaneously, New yeah, York and LA when yeah, you were that young? and San Diego. I was living in San Diego. Wow. And so, yeah, we had our showroom in the Empire State Building in New York, and it was so overwhelming, but it didn't feel like it, like living it. Does that make sense? So over the next few years, we sold tens of millions of dollars worth of clothing and licensed it out for barbecue sets and licensed the name out for different things. But ultimately, our biggest play was the energy drink. Yeah, when I was 22, I wanted to create the best tasting drink because they all tasted like cough syrup. <laughs> um, so I figured out if you just turn down one of the, one of the ingredients and add a different one, it would help minimize that cough syrup taste. And then we made it a cranberry pineapple and we won flavor of the year, back-to-back years against 900 drinks. So I took that on the stock market, took it public. That helped uh, the funding for me to go out and do what I had to do, which was not sleep for the next four years. <laughs> I banged down every single door, met with distributors, retailers, car washes. I didn't care. Nightclubs, restaurants, bars, grills, anybody. I would just drive to their house, their office, their anything and bring them my drinks. Mm -hmm. The name was very catchy. So that helped. The color was bright yellow and bright red and bright green. Those are the three flavors. Mm -hmm. And nobody else did that. At the time it was black and silver. That was it. Everybody, every competitor was black or silver, nothing else. Um, So I created the color category and I made the first zero sugar, zero carb, zero calorie version as well. Mm-hmm. And then I made a green tea version, which nobody had. So I was trying to do things that were unique because I knew I would never be the biggest. I never had an ego that I was going to become the biggest energy drink. Red Bull, Monster, and Rockstar were crushing. Of course. To hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. I just want to be the best tasting. Mm-hmm. If I create the best tasting, I can carve out a good niche. We ended up becoming the seventh largest drink on the market. So I did that for four more years. And on the 10-year anniversary from when I started in high school, 
when I was 27, that's when I resigned so I could put another feather in my cap and start an online poker site because I loved poker. Mm-hmm. Within 10 months, we'd built up the third biggest poker brand in the world. Tens of thousands of new players coming in every single month. And that was like my excitement, my fun, my passion project. Uh, the online poker market changed in America all, over, all, yeah, of, an, of, all of a sudden. There was something called Black Friday. So I had like the carpet pulled out from under me and I willingly closed down and that moment changed my life in a positive way. Even though I lost a company worth tens of millions of dollars in one moment due to my competitors messing up, it was still scoreboard. Like my company was, I had to close down. Mm-hmm. My competitors are gone. The landscape changed and you couldn't play poker in the US online anymore. So instead of sitting on the floor and crying about it, I decided I was going to consult for land-based casinos. Mm-hmm. So I got hired by four land-based casinos to be their consultants. And then one, I became the CEO for a one-year stint in, oh, wow. in Nevada. And I was one of the youngest, probably the youngest yeah, CEO probably of, the youngest. <laughs> of a land-based casino. And it was the second highest net margin casino in Nevada as well. Wow. So I did that for my, my 12-month run um, just to help fix them. Um, Cause I didn't want, I told them ahead of time, I didn't want to be the CEO of a casino long-term. I just wanted to help fix them. And after that, I became an angel investor. I never wanted to have all my eggs in one basket again. So I became an angel investor into two dozen companies, um, 28 startups now in total. And that's kind of where it all led to is that I wanted to be an angel investor, throw live events uh, called elevator nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep them free and I just have 300 to 900 angel investors come and they get to see startups pitched to them. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately my passion, which we'll talk about later, is my charity. So that's kind of my 15 years in a nutshell. Yeah, I and I want to go through a couple of those before we jump into sure. the philanthropy and charity because you gave us some really, really cool sort of discrete points in how you develop success across those different sort of plat- platforms and spheres. I remember you said eye level is buy level and yeah. a lot of that came through just the guerrilla marketing and guerrilla Absolutely. sales that you were doing just on your own. And that's something that MentorBox is always advocating for is just, you know, obviously hard work, but you were just, you were putting yourself in their space and you were the right. one going out there and doing it all and choosing exactly how you wanted the results to come out, putting your energy drinks at eye level. And that's, is, that's obviously so much more doable when you're the one in the space advocating for right. yourself. And then when you spoke about your poker site, I think you said that you wanted yours to be the coolest. Right. You didn't want to be the biggest, obviously. And there's always huge competitors that right. are already in the, in the sphere, but you wanted to be the coolest. And your affiliate marketing technique was very unique as well. Can you explain that very briefly? Yeah. So affiliate marketing is useful in almost every type of company, any type of product. But in poker, it was really important because I was paying 33%, as high as 40% to the affiliates. So let's say you sent me hundred players, let's say MentorBox was an affiliate yeah. and you sent me a hundred of your users to come play on my poker site. I would pay you 33 to 40% of whatever they spent on my poker site. That adds up a lot, you know, yeah. out of your hundred players, maybe only 10 or 15 play a, a bunch. But those 10 or 15 players play with thousands of dollars a week. Yeah, of course. So all of a sudden I'm paying you hundreds of dollars a week per person times 15, that's five grand a week, times the other 85 that play small, maybe they're only worth 40 bucks each. That's another four grand. All of a sudden I'm paying you 10, 15 grand a week in revenue from MentorBox not changing its core business. It just had 100 users that wanted to play poker on my site. I was happy paying out such a big amount, 33 to 40%, because my competitors were only paying 27. And I looked at it as not a loss leader, but as like a loss leader, if I paid out 33 to 40%, I wasn't losing money. I was still having a net margin. However, 
I was getting thousands and thousands of tens of thousands of players on my site instead of my competitors. Mm -hmm. So they were spending their time with me looking at my players, talking about my brand, thinking about everything that we had built instead of over there. I would have done it for free. I would have literally paid all of the money, all of the net margin to MentorBox, for example, just to get me more players because I just wanted people living, breathing my brand. Mm -hmm. And another thing about brand that you mentioned is making sure that you align your identity across all brands. So YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter have the same handle, have the same bio, make them, you know, easily transferable between them, linking to each and all that. Another little key tip that I think is obviously super effective. Because you never know where people are going to find you. Mm -hmm. You don't know if people are still using Google+. Yeah. You probably haven't heard somebody say Google Plus, right? In the yeah, last it's been a while. But there's still hundreds of millions of people on Google Plus. We don't think about it or talk about it. But what extra work does it take for you to have a bio, have the same screen, the screen name, have the same bio photo, and occasionally post a copy and paste of what you post on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Nothing different. Not I'm yet. not asking you to start writing Google Plus, you know, specific captions and specific posts and content. But why not copy and paste? what you're putting on Facebook if it lives on Google+. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's perfectly logical and easy enough to do. Yeah, it's free. And another thing, social media is free. Use it in as many ways as you can. Right. You talk about that a lot. So I want to circle back around to your philanthropy. So you have the Model Citizen Fund, correct? Explain what that is. I like the idea a lot. So I tried to create something that was very simple, straightforward, and people could see a true cause and effect. Mm -hmm. I realized I couldn't cure cancer. I couldn't cure AIDS. People raise billions of dollars to do it. Even when they do it, they still say the government says they didn't do it because mm-hmm. they don't want a cure. The money's not in the cure. Obviously, the money's in the treatment. Yep. So I wanted to create something that's very simple and straightforward. So I made backpacks for the homeless with 150 emergency supply items inside. So it's about 14 pounds of supplies. And I get it all in there for $100. Wow. It's a 0% charity. So 0% of that $100 goes to the overhead. I pay all overhead, shipping, staff, events, marketing, pieces of paper, anything that happens, any single little cost, I pay for 100% of it, top to bottom. And I do that because I wanted a true 0% charity, 0% going to overhead. Mm -hmm. I saw too many charities that are taking 28%, 35%, sometimes much, much worse. The greater good is there. So I'm not going to sit and bash the other charities. The greater good is there when they're going out and building wells in different cities or they're building and saving curing cancers type things. Mm -hmm. I, for one, it's just for me, I want it to be a 0% charity and that's always going to be important to me. It's always going to stay the same way. Yeah. So we go out there, we provide backpacks for the homeless. We also send backpacks to orphanages, teen abuse shelters, women abuse shelters, or disaster victims. So we can respond to a disaster within one day. Wow. Red, Red Cross takes an average of 12 days. Again, nothing against Red Cross. They're one of the biggest, best organizations in the world. Mm-hmm. But they're a huge corporation that's very slow. Yeah. So we need them. We love them for long term. But when a disaster happens, an earthquake, a hurricane, a flooding, they, people need it the next day. Mm-hmm. They need it the same day, really. But oh, re- yeah. by next day, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Day 12, it gets tough. Mm-hmm. You know? So we still, need them. we still need the big guys to do that stuff. I want to be the nimble, smaller charity that acts quickly and effectively. So how are you able to, to be more nimble in that way? So I treat it like an e-commerce business. Mm-hmm. I have a warehouse, 100,000 square feet full of supplies. Wow. I have my backpacks there. All my products and companies I invest in, every single company is based out of that same warehouse here in LA. That's actually how I met that warehouse owner eight years ago. It was him helping me first spend a year researching what to go into the backpacks. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we have the backpacks and supplies filled up and on hand. 
Mm-hmm. So if something happens, we are ready to move immediately. Okay. So the kinds of items, non-perishable, that sort of thing. Yeah. So our backpacks would last well over a year. Yeah. They really last multiple years, but let's just call it a year. Mm-hmm. And they can be thrown out of helicopters. They could be dropped anywhere. Oh. Like we made it so that's you could drop it off in a desert or you could drop it off to somebody in San Diego. Wow. How long did it take to develop that concept perfectly to that? So a year in total, but five months of like intense where like I was interviewing homeless people. I was interviewing military vets Mm -hmm. and I was interviewing the people that ran the homeless shelters and asking what mattered to them, showing them my list and it kept evolving. What's interesting was the number one most requested item was socks. Oh yeah. I've heard that. The number two most requested item is duct tape. Duct tape. Wow. I didn't even have duct tape on my list when I first got started. Hmm. Who who initially told you duct tape? Was that more military or? No, it was all of them. Really? It just came up so often. Wow. And it fascinated me. So now we've got duct tape in every single one, obviously. And that's how it all started. I know, you know, it was just feet on the street. I still have the pictures from the first homeless people I was interviewing. Again, this was you kind of just going out there and speaking to people. Yeah. I would have friends. I would post on social media and I asked my Facebook friends, but it's different asking your friend that makes 60 grand a year. What does he need in a homeless shelter or in a homeless backpack? Like, I want to know because they're pragmatic and they're thinking about it. But really, I want to, like, they were like, oh, yeah, I want the Life Straw. Life Straw is amazing, but it's $24. I can't put that into a backpack that's $100. So I wanted to hear from my friends, rich or poor, but I really wanted to hear from the homeless people and the military vets. What would you need in the desert if you had nothing? Of course. That's what I want to know. I think that's a perfectly logical business plan for developer, not business plan, but that's exactly how... Yeah. I mean, I treat it like a business. It's just different because it costs me money every year to to run it. We're going on our sixth year. But to me, it's why I do what I do. Yeah. This is like the epitome of selflessness. You're just, you're funding the whole thing. I think that's amazing. What are some specific, you know, scenarios that you've helped with so far or specific, you know, achievements that you guys have? Sure. So during hurricane season last year, when there was two hurricanes and an earthquake at the same three week period, we did Houston. We did Puerto Rico and Mexico back to back to back. The one in Puerto Rico, we were able to fill up a full airport hangar full of supplies, which was amazing. The pictures and video came out so cool because it was like stunning to see an actual full-size airport hangar full of supplies. I'm sure. Um, And I had like ex-military guys fly out there for me to make sure that it got delivered because obviously the city was in shambles and the government Mm -hmm. was slow and they had no electricity. So I didn't want to leave it up to them. So I found some really amazing badass guys that flew out there and like feet on the street went out and gave it out. Mm -hmm. And then in Mexico during the earthquake, the girl Marcella that runs my charity, she actually got on a plane and went the day after. And we shipped out the backpacks out there and oh, I mean, it changed her life. It was heart wrenching to see she would send us footage back from the the rubble. Yeah, It was intense Mm -hmm. on every single level. So those are some of the more intense, like touching things. But I'd say mostly we send to homeless shelters. Mm-hmm. We send to teen abuse orphanages and women's shelters mm-hmm. the, the most. We focus mostly on America and then we do orphanages overseas. Okay. I think there's a, there's so much in news where whenever a disaster happens, there's generally some sort of critique about how slow things are getting there. And I, I think it's it's hard to step back and analyze all of that. And I think it's most important to remember that there are people like yourself working independently to help these folks. And I don't know how much, you know, the government and other, you know, major aid organizations can take notes from people like you, but I, well, they're, they're, they're slow 
for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because you still want them to do it no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. You still need that big government aid. They're slow due to the documentation, uh, the funding, and really just the red tape. Yeah. And there's no time for red tape during a disaster. Hey, hate to interrupt this conversation with Dan Fleischman, but I just wanted to let you know where you can learn more from his expertise. We recorded a course for him based on his book where he discussed launching your company, finding help, and even getting your first customers, all the important stuff early on. Per usual, he recorded this exclusively for MentorBox members. To access all that, plus tons more, go to MentorBox.com. All right, back to the show. This is something that you talk about in the book, too, just in terms of bureaucracy and and getting all, you know, with the setup process, setting up shop, just to make sure that you have all your legal stuff done correctly and properly. When working with your friends, you know, have a a document that deliberately states what the partnership is going to look like. the scope of work. Yeah, and just having all of that set out clearly, cleanly, understanding from a, a, you know, 20,000-foot view all the things that need to be taken care of in what capacity, by whom, and when. Right. Just having that in your mind, having that broad idea makes it all so much easier For when sure. actually executing. I think that's a core point that you deliver in your book. You, It's clear that this is something that you're super passionate about, the philanthropy. And yeah. you actually mentioned in the workshop that we just did that it is essentially your main focus right now. What do you expect to do in the future? Are you going to maybe expand this and and do more than just like backpacks? So what's interesting that you say that, like, I know there's more things to do, but I just want to do one thing and I want to be the best at it. Mm -hmm. There's lots and lots of things to be fixed out there in the world. Yeah. I just think if I can create the most amount of backpacks with the most amount of supplies, you know, I would expand a few items inside. Mm -hmm. We're at 150 and I want to keep it at the exact $100 price range. Yeah, yeah. But I do want to add mobile phones and I do want to add prepaid gift cards to restaurants and Visa cards. Okay. Those things would have to be donated because they're outside of the scope of the $100 range. Mm-hmm. But I think as the charity continues to get more notoriety, those, you know, Subway, McDonald's, Visa, Walmart, Target type brands, I think they'll finally be ready to, to implement their gift cards to go inside our backpacks, mm-hmm. T-Mobile, AT&T, et cetera. Prepaid cell phones are critical to help people get a job. You cannot get a job without a cell phone. Yeah, of course. So it's really important for us that we want to get those cell phones in there with enough prepaid minutes to matter. I didn't want to put in prepaid phones just to put them in there. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to come with a, you know 500 minutes or 1,000 minutes, for example. So I will expand that and I will hire some more staff um, that, again, I pay for to go out there and get those things. I think we're at that turning point now where... I've built up a brand, I've built up relationships, I've built up enough of these live events and content to prove to these big corporations, because I need big ones, mm-hmm. that it's time. Yeah, It's time, Subway, send me $100,000 in gift cards to fill up. All. It doesn't really cost them $100,000. One, not everybody's going to use them all. Mm-hmm. Two, there's going to be change on all those gift cards. So mm-hmm. the actual cost of them is, let's call it 30 or 40000 Yeah, that's fair. Ultimately, it's a very, it's a write-off. And so... I wanted to go to them and show them that across the board with Subway, Target, Rouse, Chipotle, et cetera, anybody that has mass market locations, because I want to be available for everybody. I see. Are you going to use the classic Dan Fleischman gorilla Absolutely. market? Get right into the corporate headquarters yeah. and say, hey, guys, Absolutely. toss me some gift cards. Yeah. Can you give me an overview as to how you feel about philanthropy in the realm of 
people who are successful like you are. You know, you've been an angel investor. You've you're working with 28 companies, I think, is what yeah. it is right now. You are a very powerful, important person. How do you feel about philanthropy in general for people such as yourself? I think it's sad when people don't do more philanthropy, mm-hmm. especially when it's a write-off. Yeah. So it's not my place to tell somebody what to do with their money. Mm-hmm. They earned it or they got inherited or they won it in the lottery. It doesn't matter how they got it. Sure. It's not Dan's place to tell somebody, hey, you've got $100 million, you should donate X to charity. It's not. However, if you know that 5% of that is going to be a write-off, it's insanity to me that you'd rather pay it to the government than donate it to a charity that matters to you. It doesn't have to be mine. And I don't pitch my, my have lots and lots of wealthy friends. I don't pitch any of them. Mm-hmm. I throw my charity events, they come. I'm not sitting there and shaking them upside down for the change, you know, to write a big check. It's optional. However, if you know you're worth $100 million and $5 million is going to be a write-off, mm-hmm. not donating the $5 million is, is kind of sickening to me. Mm-hmm. Because if all the rich guys did it, it doesn't have to be the zillionaires, but if all the rich guys came together and did it, we could cure any one disease or any one category or homelessness or buy warehouses all over the planet to put homeless people in or cure the water situation. Most of our situations are basic human needs, Mm -hmm. water, food, and shelter. The doctor thing is fantastic. Operation Smile that cures, you know, helps people with their dental work or these uh, different ones that send doctors out. Those are absolutely amazing really expensive uh, to get doctors to travel overseas. Those are so heartwarming and touching. With a few hundred of the zillionaires donating their 5%, I mean, you could fund those operations for the next 10 light years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like there's just so much wealth amongst the top. Look at Bill Gates. Yeah, He effectively cured malaria. Have you heard anybody talk about malaria in the last four years? No, because (laughs) he cured it. So imagine... Not everybody's Bill Gates, but you know, 500 rich guys is Bill Gates. Yeah, absolutely. There's it's a lot of rich people. Out there. <laughs> there's a lot of rich people out there, and so again, I can't tell them what to do with their money, mm-hmm. but they can't die with it. Mm-hmm. And giving it all to their kids is crazy too, because we've seen what happens when trust fund babies just get all the money. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me as the money gets so funneled to the top. What that means is Zuckerberg. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, these guys are going to be trillionaires Mm -hmm. before they die. Zuckerberg will be an actual trillionaire. Jeff Bezos is going to be a trillionaire. Like nobody needs to be a trillionaire for so many reasons. Yeah. Their life difference between having 10 billion and a trillion is zero. Mm -hmm. Actual zero. Yeah. Besides the size of their yacht. They can't buy any more houses with 10 billion than they can with a trillion. They just can't. How big can a yacht be? Exactly. (laughs) They, They can't physically buy... If you have $10 billion, there's no house in the world you can't buy because mm-hmm. the most expensive house is $250 million. Yeah. So whether you have $10 billion or a trillion is literally irrelevant. Yeah. And your kids don't need to inherit a good bajillion dollars. <laughs> they just don't. So I like what Zuckerberg and you know, donating 99% of his net worth to charity. I like what Bill Gates, obviously, is curing whole diseases. Mm-hmm. And I like that they're inspiring more people to do it. But I think someone needs to take reign and make it almost mandatory. Considering all that you've achieved and all the time that you've put in, 
to your business endeavors, I think this outlook is just very inspirational. I really respect what you're saying right mm-hmm. now. I'd love to hear how you how this fits into your your psyche as as you continue with these very difficult and time consuming and probably stressful business endeavors that you're overseeing and all the investing that you're doing and all the work that you continue to do. How does the philanthropy fit into your psyche? You know, psychologically, sure. what does that mean to you? So, so I tie it into everything. Mm-hmm. If you go to an elevator night, my business event. Mm-hmm. The only logo on the step and repeat wall is my charity. Oh, wow. There's no sponsors. It's been like that for six years. Wow. If I throw a poker tournament, it's for my charity. Mm-hmm. If I do a new product launch, percentage goes to charity. Mm-hmm. I always tie it in, in every sense of the word. My birthday party, there was one logo, my charity. Whatever I do, I just have my charity involved in it. And that way it becomes organic. Mm-hmm. It makes it common knowledge that that's what I care about. Yeah, yeah. My wedding, you're not allowed to do anything but donate to my charity. Mm-hmm. Presents are not allowed. You physically cannot show up with a gift. Yeah. It's my wedding in November. It's like law. You will not be showing up with a gift. Wow. Donate to my charity or nothing. That's really amazing. Did you always know that you wanted to have a charity and that you wanted to have this kind of charity? So I didn't always know I wanted to have my own charity. I was always supporting other people's charities. Okay. So for many years... I was throwing charity poker tournaments almost every quarter for other people's charities. And I would raise them $84,321 on a Sunday, give them the money Monday morning and never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. And so I never saw a cause and effect. And from a personal perspective, I wanted to see what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't need a pat on the back. I didn't need them to tell everybody I had donated it. I wanted to see what happened. Of course. And so th- my charity wasn't formed out of need for myself to be able to help people have a way to be able to have a cause and effect mm-hmm. with my charity. If somebody donates a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, doesn't matter what the number is. They can choose an option that I'll ship the backpacks to them. No. They go out and deliver it. Or they tell me I wanted to go to this homeless shelter in Chicago, or I want to go to this orphanages or this teen abuse shelter, or this women abuse shelter. But I prefer, I send it to you. You go hand it out. Mm-hmm. I wanted a charity that people get involved in. So I have some companies like First Form Protein. These guys, every year, they'll buy a bunch for their staff. They have like 140 staff members. Mm-hmm. And they go out and they'll go feed on the street. They have cameras with them. Mm-hmm. They, they ask the homeless people ahead of time, are we allowed to film? Yeah. And it's like a staff empowerment thing where all of their staff gets together and they walk through the streets of St. Louis to give out backpacks to the homeless. Mm. And then... A couple times a year now, they have their own meetups where they go pack their own backpacks and supplies and make their own meals and sandwiches to go give out. I don't need people to donate to my charity because I don't keep any of the money for the charity. Mm -hmm. To me, it's the second, if you put in five grand today, I'm making $5,000 in backpacks today. We don't float money. We don't need it. There's no overhead. Mm -hmm. So I pay for it all. So if you go out and make 500 backpacks yourself instead, fantastic. (laughs) It's the exact same. That's what I want. Yeah. It's the exact same cause and effect to me. It does nothing for me to, for you to donate to my charity specifically. I see. Right. I just want to be the steward of it if people don't want to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you have. Your, and you have done like the curating process or curating. Is I make it easy. Word. Yeah. And, you, and you've done the interviewing of the people who right. need this most and said, what is best for you? Correct. So you've kind of taken an extra step Correct. there as well. But I've made it on my website, modelcitizenfund.org slash what's in the backpack. Yeah. Yeah. It sits there and tells you what's in the backpack. So, so you can make can it literally own. just do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens for me, whether I know about it or not. But I love finding out about it because I keep seeing people that have like 100 people showing up to a brewery 
in the middle of Wisconsin mm-hmm. to go put bags together. They don't have all 150 items, but they have 10, 15 or 20. Sure. I don't, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it costs me nothing. It costs them nothing, but time and energy. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is to inspire people to do it in their own cities. So many people are like, oh, I want to be a part of your charity. Great. Tell people on social media to meet you at your house <laughs> or your office on Sunday at 1 p.m. and bring supplies. Yeah. That's it. Use Ziploc bags. Use old, use old luggage bags. Use old backpacks. Use duffel bags. Use brown paper bags. The homeless person doesn't care. Yeah. They just want stuff. They need stuff. I use nice backpacks because it's functional for them. It lasts them for years. But at the end of the day, they just want stuff. Mm-hmm. They need to survive. Beggars can't be choosers. Like they just want stuff. Mm -hmm. So you're not only faster at the end of the day in, you know, sort of mass need response, but you're also incredibly democratic with this in that anybody can do it, whether they're partnering with you, you know, informally partnering by donating, or if they're just doing it themselves, you give every item in the backpack and you give them everything they need to do it on their own. A kindergarten class in Albuquerque, New Mexico can do just as good a job as me. Wow. I'm saying wow a lot because I'm so (laughs) impressed by this. The five-year-olds can get together and tell their mommies and daddies and pull on the the t-shirts of their uncles and brothers (laughs) and friends. Hey, bring me honey packets, (laughs) band-aids, Ziploc bags, bread. Yeah. Did anything I say cost more than a dollar? Nothing. No. The five-year-olds can do just as good a job. If they have access to the internet. (laughs) The parents or, do, yeah, the friends do, their a, teacher A does. teacher could say, hey guys, go to, go to your, the school your parents. Can put, and, the school can put out an email blast and say, hey, mm-hmm. this Sunday, 1 p.m., all the five-year-olds want you to show up and bring all your supplies, bring all your canned food. Mm-hmm. They do it once in a while. Why not do it more often? Yeah. It helps everybody. The kids get to rally around something. Mm-hmm. The parents and the kids have something to talk about that's good and positive. The school looks like a hero. The teachers get to explain new things. There's no negative and there's no cost. Mm-hmm. All it does is bring everybody together to talk about something that creates a basic human need yeah. and then go give it out. And helps others. Right. I know you guys can't see those listening, but I'm about to shed a tear because this is so <laughs> inspirational. I'd like to finish off just by allowing you to you know, give a final call to action for these things, you know, for the Model Citizen Fund and for everything else as well, social media, if they want to learn more about you, sure. about your work, and of course the book too that we mentioned earlier. So my personal social media on every platform is at Dan Fleischman, F-L-E-Y-S-H-M-A-N. The charity is modelcitizenfund.org. That's where you can go and learn what's in the backpack and go do it yourself, or you can donate, or I can ship the backpacks to you directly. The book is How to Set Up Your Business for Under $1,000. It's available at buythisbook.com or on Amazon. And then there's an ebook version, an audio version, a video version, etc. Um, and obviously on mentorbox.com is where you can watch the behind the scenes. <laughs> of course. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I've been Tyler, your content coordinator, and I spoke with the incredible Dan Fleischman today. Dan, thank you so much for coming in and thank you so much for giving me this inspirational talk on, on what you do. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. 
And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast. 